0: Hi guys, welcome to Useful Idiots Colin Show. Very excited to be here with you, and this, of course, follows our Monday morning YouTube show that we do every Monday at ten a.m. Also, make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube, and also make sure that you subscribe to us on Substack. And to do that, that is just uh, usefulidiots.substack.com, and also youtube.com/slash useful idiots, and also subscribe to our podcast and rate and review us. Uh, okay, so let us uh, let's see. Do we have any questions? Um, we don't have any questions yet do we That's uh that's the first well Aaron uh we got we got a questionnaire thank you Anne. so going to bring in Anne. welcome Anne.
1: Hi thanks a lot for hosting all of us um and for all your great work um my question really is uh, assuming uh nobody including Poland wants to go um into take any weapons or anything into Ukraine What happens to those? I mean, considering we have this big budget now, which Congress hastily scrambled together to to send weapons and money and all kinds of stuff, um, do we get our money back? Do the arms come back? Or does Poland just get to keep them and all these other countries where we've sent all this stuff?
2: That's a great question. And the most plausible answer to me is found in Syria, where basically all these weapons were sent to Syria and surrounding countries from around the world. And a lot of them hit the black market. That's what happens when you flood countries with weapons and you do it very quickly as is happening now. You just, you're creating a huge opportunity for the black market. And that's, I'm sure, if I had to bet, that's what that's what will happen here. The, you know, there's even, um, there, a U.S. official uh, was quoted by Al Jazeera a few weeks ago saying something like, uh, you know, the risk is worth it because we have to arm Ukraine. The risk of basically weapons falling into the wrong hands is worth it. That's what, essentially what he was saying. So it's madness. And I don't think there'll be any way to keep track of all the weapons that are being sent there because they're just coming in from everywhere and there's, some, there's so much of them.
1: Okay. Yeah, that, that that's what I was wondering. I mean, it's just painful when we see how much we need to do in, this country, in our own country, even just with... Uh, um, you know, infrastructure like bridges, you know, Pittsburgh just had a bridge fall down again. And I mean, you know, it, it, anyway, it's frustrating, but thanks a lot. I, that's all I want to know.
2: It's crazy. And didn't they take money out of COVID response funding to ensure they had enough money to arm Ukraine in the most recent bill? Didn't that happen? There was some money taken out of COVID relief and it was used essentially to pay for weapons in Ukraine. It's It's insane. Yeah,
1: that's right. I did read that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, freedom isn't free, guys.
1: <laughs> All right, thanks a lot you guys.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Okay, John.
3: Hi, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, welcome.
3: Oh, uh, wow. I'm uh I'm just so uh happy to be uh speaking to you people uh live because um you know, there's seemingly no truth, uh, in the media now. Um, it's just been awful. And, um, you know, you hear somebody like that right winger, Russell Brand, uh, speak about the money, um, and, and the commercial interests in Ukraine. And you, you know, start wondering, am I going to be a conspiracy theorist or what?
0: You think he's right? Were you being sarcastic about Russell Brand being right-wing, or
3: no? I was yes, being sarcastic. Sorry, I'm a
0: big sarcasm hypocrite. I sarcastic all the time, and then I miss it when other people do it. So that's my fault.
3: Um, but uh, you know, I just uh, thought it interesting. uh, The other day, he talked about all the uh, various uh, resources that um, the Ukraine has, and that of course uh, Russia doesn't want to let those resources, you know, fall to the West. Um, Similar to Aaron's comment about uh, Crimea and and the naval base. And um, of course, none of this is talked about. Um, The only thing talked about less is probably, you know, Yemen. Uh, Mm. You know, so it's just unbelievable to be watching the news media these days and to see the just, Unbelievable hypocrisy. I guess I guess the question I would have is, do either of you think that this total, uh, you know, unbelievable level of hypocrisy in the news media now is maybe going to, you know, upset the cart, you know, make uh make people begin to realize that, gee, there's a whole lot of BS on these shows and um, maybe we need to quit watching.
0: I think, I mean, not to sound like a downer, and I guess I I think that independent media is serving a very important function during times like these, um, when the mainstream media or corporate media is just serving as basically, you know, um, cheerleaders for war or regime change or war escalation. Um, But I also think that what's so scary about media... um, I guess, propaganda is that it's very hard for people to realize that they're listening to propaganda if they're not listening to independent media. So how would they even know that what they're listening to is BS when all they hear is is the, a, a consensus? Also, I just want to mention, I will be hosting Adam Johnson from the Citations Needed podcast on the Katie Helper Show um, on Tuesday. That's uh, tomorrow at 8 p.m. And he does really great analysis of, of media and how they con- uh, manufacture consent. But And I also I agree with you that Russell Brand has been doing great work around this issue. And Russell, if you're listening, come on the show. We'd love to have you. Right, Aaron? I speak for both of us when I say that.
2: Yeah, we should try. That's a good idea. Yeah. I, will, uh, I have an in with him, so I will ask him if he'll come on. It's a good awesome. idea. I don't know if he does interviews, though. But anyway, yeah, look, I, uh, I definitely think in my lifetime, co- public confidence in corporate media has never been lower. I think it's even lower than it was after the Iraq War. I think that's that's why people like Joe Rogan have found such a big audience. because people just are uh, very um, just really want authenticity, and they feel that they're not getting that from what they're seeing on TV. And uh, so, but it's hard to make predictions. I have no idea. Certainly, does the media deserve to be abandoned on mass? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. They're so bad. I've never seen it so bad. It's unbelievable how bad they are and how just devoted they are to omitting any dissenting voices. It's pretty extraordinary. And I certainly hope that that, that will, you know, people will pick up on just how bad things are, but, but it's hard. As Katie said, some people don't even know that there's an alternative out there because there's no, because all they see is just the, the party line consensus. And so it's hard to know that there is a different way of looking at things.
3: Yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, regarding that aspect, um, Chris Hedges dropped something on Substack as well about, uh, being canceled and completely removed from YouTube. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it's very much a problem, but I, I thank you guys so much. You guys are doing the best work, uh, that, that I've seen, uh, in the media. So, thank you so much. Yeah, that's
2: a whole, that's a whole other part of it too. It's not only that dissenting voices are marginalized, but in the case of Chris Hedges and other people who are on RT, they just get censored. Their entire body of work is erased. We had on, we had on Abby Martin on Useful Idiots last week, and her her show that she did for many years on RT breaking the set was just erased by YouTube, and YouTube and YouTube is blocked RT, so we can't even get the RT news shows anymore. So even if we wanted to hear a dissenting point of view, at least when it comes to RT, we can't even hear it. We're not even allowed to make up our minds for ourselves as to what we want to listen to because our overlords do the job for us. It's it's so crazy. Yeah, it
0: really is, yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you. Rudy. Welcome, Rudy. Welcome back.
4: Hey, how you guys doing? Good, you? Um, pretty good I guess. I was just um thinking about what you guys are saying and I was just thinking I'm not sure when we're gonna hit rock bottom, you know? Like it just doesn't seem like we ever hit rock bottom. You think this is as low as we can get and then we hit lower. I don't know what you guys think about that.
0: I sadly I think that's kind of true. Like I'm constantly saying to myself, or to other, or to my friends and like fellow, you know, travelers, uh, can you believe this? And they're like, Yeah, Katie, of course I can believe this. This stuff happens all the time. So, yeah, but I that's
4: kind of depressing though, because you would, yeah. you know, because like when you expect that bad things are gonna happen all the time, you don't want to do stuff. Because I mean, when we look at even when we talk about people in Afghanistan. One of the things that people say is, like, people are just, like, almost depressed, I suppose, in a sense, right? They want to, like, they just cannot see that if they build something, that it's going to last. So then, in the end, you basically don't want to do anything. So we get into this vicious circle. And I just don't know how we get out of it. Um, Because even, like, Joe, Joe, I I, I just saw a video of him basically just saying he's going to get out of politics. You know, so because... Joe, Joe uh, Rogan. He basically ah. is like he doesn't want to be involved in politics. He doesn't want to. He just want to sort of. He just wants to watch. And I mean, you, you'd you'd want Joe to be able to come out for somebody like 2016 Bernie Sanders, you know, and say that this is a legit guy, and then like use whatever cultural force he has to back it up. But then these guys are just are. Uh, you know they're crushing any dissenting voices. I guess what's new, <laughs> but it's 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 horrible. And yes, the media is not trusted at all right now. But I guess they don't really need the media to be trusted as long as they can crush any dissenting voices. And it's modern book burning, just like Abby Martin said. It's 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 crazy.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How do we? All right, Aaron. What's your
2: advice? How do we give people hope? I can't. I'm sorry. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard to feel hope. It is a very bleak time. But uh, the hope lies in the fact that we have opportunity, that if enough people get together and organize and make our voices heard, then things could possibly change. I mean, that's the only hope that, that there is. But certainly in this system, it's very difficult to make change. And there's so many barriers consciously erected to making a difference and breaking through. But you know, all we can do is do our best, and I think that's where I have hope.
0: Yeah, we try to make you guys laugh
4: at least. Oh, thank you, guys. At least, um, you know, one thing that was positive last week, um, when that lady died, the the what's her oh name, God. Madeline. And Albright, right. I saw. I watched a lot of um YouTube, MSNBC, Fox, and the likes, and most of the commentators, most of the comments well, basically, like, you guys are liars, he's a terrible person, and all of that stuff. So I don't know how come this time around there were so many people that didn't agree with the whitewashing of this criminal. But that was positive. I don't know what you guys think what happened, why there was a glitch in the matrix, but this criminal, some it was harder to whitewash her than, like, George Bush and Kissinger whenever he, he dies. So oh, thank you. <laughs> Bye.
0: Yeah, it's true. Our, we forgot to mention, uh, RIP, um, Madeleine Albright, who never regretted imposing sanctions on Iraq that killed, what was it? How many? A million children?
2: Ten counting. Well, the, the figure she was told was uh, half a million. Oh, half a million. The price is worth it. Now, that figure, actually, there's, there's some problems with it. But, but the point is, Madeleine Albright was willing to say that killing half a million children was worth it. And it's just amazing that she was allowed to speak in public after that. And yeah. it was not permanently shamed. It's just unbelievable. It's open celebration of mass murder of children. And yet, she's, we're supposed to believe she's some sort of uh, distinguished states person, well, diplomatist. Is
0: slay queen. Literally a slay
4: queen. A slay
2: queen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: But that's how depressing things are. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys hearing me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you. Uh, Gregory. Hi, Gregory. And please unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. Right next to the like or the heart, the thumbs up, the heart. For me, it's a heart for other people to thumbs up. All right. Oh, great. Hi, Gregory.
5: Hello? I've been a follower since the beginning. Sorry. I'm about to get a train, so I'll take my... Okay. I just yep. want I, I to say I love the show, and I have questions uh, regarding Congressional Dish, if you guys have ever heard of that podcast. Congressional Wait, Dish. Yeah, it was on with... um. Brianna Joy Gray had her on the podcast. She's a national treasure. I think you guys would really be interested in her. And also, oh, yeah. I want your guys' to take Jennifer on Belarus.
0: Brine- is that who it
5: is? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And I, I just wanted your guys' to take on Belarus moving forward. I'm on the train, so I'm going to get disconnected. So I'll, I'll take it off the air. But thanks. Love you guys' work.
0: Thanks. Aaron, you, you want to? Give me see? the
5: Belarus
2: scoop. I don't have the Belarus scoop, unfortunately. I don't follow Belarus too oh. closely. I you know. You guys got to ask
5: Jennifer Briney. She watches the Congressional Record. She's she's got all the all the scoops. You
2: guys. All
0: right. Okay. All
2: right. Well, thank you. We will.
0: Yeah. Well. you. Right.
2: For... Love the show.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Take Thanks care. For... Bye. Reverend.
5: Hello. Oh. Hi. Hi. Uh. What? Let me say, along with everyone else, of course, independent media, what you guys do is so important to this time. I mean, it's funny when you listen to corporate media, I'll I'll bounce between NPR, the BBC. Can you talk
0: a little closer to your phone, Rev?
5: Sorry. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm on a bus. Uh, I might not be able to do this. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Okay, much better. Sorry. But I think, like I said, I mean, what you guys do on independent media is amazing. I mean, it's so valuable. I mean, I, I'll listen to NPR, the BBC, New York Times, it bounce back and forth. and it's only hey, gotta know your enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just the same stuff. I mean, you know, if, if I didn't know who the, the announcers were, I, I would, wouldn't know what media I'm on. But, but getting back to, I mean, I know these are, are dark times, but I think what Chris Hedges says, you know, you, you don't fight fascists because you win, you fight fascists because they are fascists. And, right. and there's the freedom anyway. I mean, that's the only thing that makes life ultimately worth living. Like, you know, the old saying, don't mourn, organize. I right. mean, I think there's some to it. So I, mean, I think we've got to remember that, that, you know, it's partly for the struggle and it's partly for us. I mean, you know, where we're going to sit in history, I think matters. You know, so I just want to say that. And if anybody's free June 18th, we're doing the Poor People's March in Washington, D.C. So come on down. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay, Great. okay I'll you guys.
0: Thanks for letting us know about that. And thanks for that perspective. It's true. Hopefully we do both. We fight fascism to fight fascism and to win. But yes. it is the struggle <laughs> in itself is absolutely important. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. OK, Mike. Hi, Mike.
6: Hello. Hi.
7: Hello. I'm very happy to get on. I feel a little weird because I'm not on a train or a bus. I'm actually just <laughs> okay. sitting at home.
0: The safe space.
7: Yeah, and uh, uh, I had a couple things I wanted. One, I like—I love Useful Idiots. I loved it with Matt, and I love it with Aaron. Thanks. And I figured—I figured that's either because you guys are both well, Matt and Aaron are both independent, informed, objective reporters, or the other possibility is that Katie Helper, right? I mean, oh yeah, she's been here the whole time, right? Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, um. <laughs> So I had a couple of questions. I don't know if we have time to get to all of them, but one is: I man, I get this "Putin is a madman" narrative all the time. I don't know how to counter it. I, I'm getting to the point where I'm just going to give up arguing with people because, you know, I just get attacked as Putin lover. I, or, you know, I they want me to, you know. I, Putin is singular evil, just like Saddam Hussein was, just like uh, the guy in Syria, everybody, you know. So you can't, you can't negotiate with him. But right. there's, there's, there is evidence that he will negotiate, isn't there? I mean, what do you guys think about that?
2: Yeah, I think Putin's been trying to negotiate for the last eight years. He supported the Minsk Accords, which would have ended the war in the Donbass. Along the lines of basically uh, demilitarizing the rebel held regions in, re- in return for them, giving them some limited autonomy. Russia supported that. Then uh, the reason but they, why. They
7: say, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. But they say that he doesn't negotiate. He puts up a certain what he wants. And if you don't agree to what he wants, then he leaves the table and walks away. And so there's no
2: negotiation. Well, I mean, I. I don't, I don't see the evidence for that. They, um, look, they, so you have the Minsk Accords. That was 2015. Russia publicly supported them. The, the, the key thing that had to happen was that Ukrainian forces had to withdraw first. That, that was in the Accords. And Ukraine never did that. Uh-huh. And they were the only person in Washington who I think really supported the Minsk Accords was Barack Obama. If you look at military aid to Ukraine, Under Obama, it was pretty low because Obama resisted everybody, including not just John McCain and Lindsey Graham, but also Joe Biden and Jake Sullivan, because Obama didn't want to further inflame the proxy war and he didn't want U.S. weapons to get in the hands of neo-Nazis. And so because Obama didn't really have, uh, you know, wasn't so enthusiastic about waging a, a proxy war in Ukraine, Ukraine was forced essentially to sign the Minsk Accords in 2015, and uh, and that and that and if they'd been implemented, that could have ended this whole thing. But basically, I think the far right in Ukraine was opposed to them, and the right wing in Washington, which is essentially the bipartisan foreign policy establishment, also didn't want it. And so, when Obama left office in Obama's last month in office in December 2016, Lindsey Graham and John McCain go to Ukraine and they visit the front lines of the Ukrainian military fighting against the rebels, and Lindsey Graham says. And it's an amazing clip. He says, 2017 will be the year of offense and Russia has to pay a heavier price. And they were basically promising that with Obama gone, that they were going to make sure that more weapons flow to Ukraine. And they, they succeeded. They got Trump to send more weapons and, um, and that further inflamed the proxy war. And I don't think there's evidence that Russia, it was Russia that wanted to c- continue that, that war. I think it was the Hawks in Washington and the far right neo-Nazis who, when Zelensky was elected, they told him to go away when he talked about making peace with, with the rebels. So I don't think you can say that it's been Russia that uh, kept the war going. And recall, they had proposals on the table last year uh, in December. They published these long documents laying out their, their proposals to both the U.S. and NATO, and the core of it was having Ukraine be neutral and removing offensive weapon systems from countries that from NATO countries that surround Russia. And I don't think Russia could have gotten all of that, but I think there was a, a strong basis to negotiate there. And it wasn't, you know, or it was the U.S. that, that basically told Russia to go away, that they would never take NATO membership off the table for Ukraine. And then Russia responded by invading the country. So I just don't think you can say that Russia hasn't tried diplomacy. Now, I wish they had kept trying diplomacy instead of invading because, I don't think the invasion can be justified, but to say that they haven't tried diplomacy at all, I just don't think there's evidence for that.
7: Okay, thanks.
2: Um, and the other,
0: just, okay. Go ahead.
2: Sorry, Katie.
0: No, really quick, I'd say the other point to make is like, okay, so if you think that about Putin, what is your suggestion?
7: Yeah, I know. i say that uh, and you don't get anything because the only other option is to continue ratcheting up tensions and that scares right. the shit out of me. But Yeah. You know. I had one other question. I mean, um,
0: it is true. It is a good if these people are at all Obama supporters. I find that can be a useful argument to remind them of what Aaron said. Yeah, that's only if they like. They want to forget all that Obama. Yeah. Anyway,
7: so it was the Weinstein, not Eric Weinstein, the other Weinstein. um, Brett. Yeah, Brett, who was talking a lot last year about, or it was two thousand nineteen or twenty about a third party possibility. But he's kind of been cancelled now, so I don't hear too much about him anymore. But do you think there's any possibility of a third party run from somebody in twenty twenty four? Um it's just speculation at this point, I guess.
0: I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't know of what do you think, Aaron? I can't think off the top of my head of anyone.
2: Let's start out that way at least. Will there be a third-party candidate in 2024? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean a
7: viable third-party. Oh, I viable. Mean, so many people hate the Republicans and the Democrats. It seems yeah. to me that there's a
2: possibility for that for opening. Yeah. I think certainly there's the, there are the conditions for it, that if somebody yeah. wanted to do it, they'd have a good opportunity. But uh, predicting that far ahead, I have no idea. I mean, could I have predicted that Donald J. Trump would have won the presidency? No. So, you know. It's, All right, it's thanks, hard to make thanks
7: guys. It was great yeah. talking to you.
2: Thanks Thank
0: you. Okay, let's see who we got next. Um, Yarrow. Welcome, Yarrow. Hello? Yaro, unmute yourself, please, by hitting
8: the... Oh, there we go. Oh, there I you. think. Is Hello? that better? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. hear
0: you.
8: Um, yeah, well, first of all, thanks uh, so much for what you guys are doing. Um, Goes without saying, definitely one of the, you know, very few people. Um, uh, And my question was, you know, uh, something topical, I guess, but... I don't think it's very important, but I'm just curious if you guys know uh, about the Will Smith and uh, Chris Rock um, uh, saga. How did... Because I've seen it on Twitter, and I mean, I didn't watch the Oscars, and then all of a sudden I've seen people somehow connect Ukraine to that uh, incident, and I, I just... I was wondering if you guys knew where that originated from. I how is Ukraine
2: how is Ukraine being connected to the internet?
8: Well, that's what I was asking you guys to be honest, cuz I, I I can't I can't see it. But apparently apparently uh, some Ukrainian uh kind of, you know, U- Ukraine flag people uh in their uh in their bios got Mad at Will Smith for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why.
2: Huh? Well, I can't speak to that because I haven't followed that angle. But yeah, uh, okay, yeah,
8: okay. Uh, Sorry. Well, have you guys seen the uh, Zelensky uh, interview to the Russian to the Russian uh, journalists from uh, yesterday? I think
2: I heard about it. I didn't see it, but he said that. What did he say? He said that he would be willing to seriously consider neutrality? Did he say anything new?
8: Uh, The weirdest thing, honestly, for me, of the whole interview, was how he kind of, you know, pretended, I think, to to forget Russian words. Oh, that's funny. Throughout the whole interview. Like, he would ask people around him for, like, a, a Russian word, because he forgot, and and the guy has been speaking russian since he was like a little kid so
2: right <laughs> it's just that weird. Is interesting. and so he doesn't want to look as if he's too pro russian too russian too down yeah, with russia I think yeah
8: i well, i mean it, it looks just
2: odd because it looks
8: like he's uh, losing his memory but but um, yeah i guess i guess it kind of makes it look like he maybe he wants to forget russian and so you know he's actively forgetting it i don't know He's just strange.
0: Mm. That's interesting. Yeah.
2: Um. All right. Well, he's a great was, listen. He's, a great, really it, so. he's, he's a, great a great actor. He's a great actor. Yeah, he's a great actor. Fantastic actor. actor. You got to give him credit.
0: In fact, we should do some kind of um, reaction to the, his show. Have you watched it? It's now available on Netflix.
2: I have never seen it. No. Yeah, I'm curious about it. All right, Yaro. Thank you for calling. Thank you.
0: okay andrew welcome andrew
9: hello so uh this narrative about putin is a madman and putin is targeting intentionally targeting civilians thing is driving me absolutely crazy because so many of these arguments are just meant to make you look like a bad person if you dare even argue against it like you don't want to be in the position of saying, well, he's not killing that many civilians. But the things that they're saying are so ridiculous that it really bears saying if Putin's a madman and he's killing civilians on purpose as if this is his goal, why is Kiev still standing? Kiev could be a pile of glass and rubble by tonight if Putin gave the order, along with every other city in Ukraine. So this entire narrative that, oh, he's killing civilians on purpose because he's trying to just, I don't know, grind the Ukrainians into submission. And then I guess they would say, well, he knows that if he did something like that, we would respond. But first of all, the premise is that he's mad and that he's going to do these things anyway. So this whole thing is so crazy, and I find myself really wishing that we had a voice like I guess it's you guys and people like Max Blumenthal. There's some people on the right as well, but someone like Norman Finkelstein, because this whole situation personally reminds me of Israel-Palestine when I first started learning about it and just the level of controversy and emotional arguments that are deployed against Palestinian supporters and Palestinians for their peaceful resistance. and. Some of the arguments, you know, they 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 make you sound like a bad person for arguing against them. And I when I think of Norm Finkelstein, how he just cuts through the noise with the facts and the data. I think that at the end of the war in Ukraine, we're going to see that, as some experts have been saying, the civilian deaths were far lower than other wars compared to U.S. wars or whatever war you might want to look at. Just because I mean, maybe that's a bad prediction, but it seems like. this this narrative that he's just trying to kill civilians is patently false on its face. And really the only thing it takes to say it is a a stomach strong enough to not be bullied into this position to just accept that on its face.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I said early on in in the war that it looks like Russia is primarily focusing on military targets. And I was attacked for it, but it was true. At the time, it was true. And since then, they've committed out, they've committed atrocities against civilians. I mean, I, like bombing Kharkiv, they attacked civilian areas and there's no doubt civilians have been killed. Mariupol has been uh, has been seriously damaged in the attack and a lot of civilians died. But the side we're not getting is what the, for example, in Mariupol, what the Azov Battalion was doing. And to the extent they were using people as human shields and preventing people from leaving, which we're getting some reports of now from civilians who were there. And it's very difficult in a war to find out the truth. And that's why I think, I mean, part of the reason why, uh, you know, you're not seeing like a Norman Ficklestein-like figure, at least in the U.S., is that it's, it's just hard to know. And it's, it's important not to make sweeping conclusions while the war is still going on and while evidence is still lacking. But there was just an article in Newsweek last week by Bill Arkin where he spoke to two Air Force officers and a defense intelligence agency analyst. And what they said is exactly what you're saying, is that so far Russia's been focused primarily on military targets and that the aim is clearly not regime change, because if it was, then why aren't they attacking Kiev and bombing Zelensky's home and trying to take him out? It's it's clearly not that. It's clearly they have military objectives. They want to essentially make sure that Ukraine can't become another NATO outpost. And that looks to me like what they're... And they want to... uh, and the war in the Donbass. That looks to me like what their objective is so far and you know if if the evidence is there then the facts will eventually come out.
9: And I would just like to clarify that I'm not arguing that civilian areas aren't being hit or that civilians aren't being killed or that war crimes aren't being committed or that the war is legal or whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying the very the very obviously wrong claim that Putin is trying to kill civilians. He's targeting civilians to kill civilians. Um, But he just can't get enough missiles out or something is ridiculous. Like, obviously, cities are being destroyed and civilian areas are being hit. But the idea that he's targeting civilians to kill civilians seems so. Yeah,
2: Yeah, well, it's the it's the Aleppo narrative, right? When Russia and Syria liberated Aleppo, because that's what that's what that operation was. I'm not afraid to say that Aleppo was occupied by sectarian death squads who terrorized the people of East Aleppo and shelled the the people of West Aleppo, where most residents of Aleppo fled to. And Aleppo, by the way, never joined the uh, rebellion against Assad because Aleppo was, you know, Aleppo, uh, like the city of Aleppo, the people there were just not on board. That's why when the first protests in Syria broke out, there was no major protest happening in Aleppo because it, it didn't want to get involved in a in a brutal civil war. And so... When Russia and Syria, after exhausting all their options, retook Aleppo, there was this huge propaganda campaign that Russia and Syria were deliberately massacring their own people and, uh, w- with that bombing. And there's a huge amount of manufacturing consent around that. But look at the footage from Aleppo afterwards. There's people going out in the streets celebrating and celebrating Christmas for the first time because the sectarian fanatics who the U.S. helped put in Aleppo would of course prevent that from happening. And I'm not saying it's the exact same thing happening in, in Ukraine uh, because again, you know, this is Russia invading a sovereign country. And I don't think you can say that the vast majority of Ukrainians want to be invaded. I just don't, I strongly doubt that. Certainly in a place like Mariupol, I'm sure there are people who are very happy to see the Azov battalion being destroyed and taken out because the Azov battalion has been held for a lot of people in that region. But it's, it's a bit more, it's a bit, it's, it's different in Ukraine than it was in Syria, but this playbook of basically accusing Russia of deliberately killing civilians when their objective is, is far different is that's definitely being recycled.
0: And I think like if you are worried, understandably, because I get this a lot also, and this is just part of the propaganda, but when people try to portray you as a bad person or as kind of callous, you can say like you're interested in actually having a negotiated truce peace. that that is what helps Ukrainians, not merely condemning Putin. Like, How does that help Ukrainians?
9: Yeah, well, it seems like these people almost care about these abstract principles of democracy and sovereignty more than the actual people in Ukraine. Right. So thanks for your time. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate
0: it. Stay strong. Oh, cool. Independent Left News. Welcome to the show and everyone following Independent Left News. you there?
10: Am I muted? Hey, there you are. Hi. Oh, my God. Aaron, Mate, how are you? It's a pleasure to actually talk to you. Katie, of course, I've spoken to you before. For everyone who doesn't know, I mod for Katie's stream occasionally. Yes. Um, and, and, I do, uh, and I set up the Katie Helper Discord way, way back when, which you get Patreon access with. So everybody subscribe to, to Katie's Patreon.
2: Um, what, what's your real name, Independent Left News? I assume that's not your uh, birth name.
10: Everybody calls me Indy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of anonymous. <laughs> Katie knows my name, but everyone okay, calls all right, me Indy. Okay.
2: Okay. How's how right,
10: that, so Ari? You. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So, uh, again, I really appreciate all you've done. You guys have, have inspired me. I cover both of you, of course, in our daily newsletter, Substack, that we put out. We are founding members of the uh, Useful Idiot Substack, of course, when you guys first signed up. So, so big fan of all that you do. I wanted to ask, of course, how, how you think this all plays out, and how does it end? How do we end this war? How do we get back to peace? That's first. But I also wanted to ask you guys about independent networks and maybe how independent streamers and independent content creators can come together to form a network so that fans don't have to subscribe individually to 50 different content creators and pay each one $5 per month because it's getting to a point where there's so many of us, they can't afford to, to subscribe and support all of us, even though they really want to. And it's so important to have independent media out there today. So those are the two things I wanted to ask. I've got a ton of other things I want to ask. I'd love to have you on a show that I'm doing someday. Um, I have a Rockfin channel now. I just got approved for this week. So, so again, just uh, appreciate all you do and, and would love to hear, hear, hear what you have to say.
0: Okay, uh, let's see. Yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more collaboration across different platforms. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Aaron. Um, definitely appreciate the work you're doing
2: collaboration amongst people who are constantly infighting and talking shit about each other i don't know well it's <laughs> it's, well, sometimes, it's, it's sometimes it's uh some people are talking <laughs>
10: shit for sure
2: i mean look i've I, i've worked in lefty media my whole life i worked at i worked at democracy now and then i've worked at the real news and you know a few a few non-lefty places for a bit but most of my time is spent in lefty media now i'm at the gray zone and I just think there's something about the professional lefty media space that makes collaboration and unity very difficult. There's just – everyone's got their own little brand and everyone's got their petty views of others and resentments. And I just find that that's made – every time I've seen an effort to to organize and bring people together, I always think it's great and I support it. But it just never seems to get off the ground because there's just so much – Uh, you know, it's very territorial. Like when you work in corporate media, I guess there's just, there's a lot more places to go. There's a lot more real estate. There's a lot more space for people and lefty media. It's like, especially after Bernie failed, everyone like, like when Bernie was happening, there was some unity, I think. But then after Bernie, it became like a power, it became like a power grab. So I would love to see something organized. I think it's very, it would be very, very uh, helpful to the world and important and make, and yeah, and it's not fair to ask, people to pay all these different individual creators because it's, it is expensive, but I just don't know. I don't know the, I don't have the, I don't have the mindset that could lay out a path to achieving that. It's just, it's very difficult.
10: We, we need access to some of those wealthy uh, uh, people on the left. I think, you know, uh, even if, you know, there are a a couple of people that, that would be willing, I I would hope to fund something like this. Um, Number one, but also, you know, I've actually been helping to organize smaller content creators into a network called the Indie News Network. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to remove the drama. We're trying to be aligned politically as well as help lift each other, amplify each other, and, and be a positive force. Uh, and Tara Reid is actually part of our network. I don't know if you know. but um, And she just got a Rockvin channel as well. So I, I think it's possible. I think, I think that we have to, you know, some of us – need to kind of put put our egos and nonsense and whatever aside at times and again I'm not talking about any specific person because we all have it but I think that we need to do it because the narrative management and what's coming out of corporate media I mean the propaganda to one side the Putin equals Hitler in, that's come out all of a sudden is really scary and they're doing it to anybody. They're trying to cancel anyone that questions their narrative. They're doing it to you guys. They're doing it to Jimmy. They're doing it to MCSC. They're doing it to Revolutionary Blackout. It's happening to anybody that's really trying to rise up and challenge that narrative. So I think we got to figure out a way to come together even more um, and do that. And I- I'm willing to step up and, and help make that happen for for all I, you know, for all I can do again by covering everybody, maybe maybe that's a central way to do it. Uh, is to come up with more central newsletters and hubs like me, like opt out, like uh, Lee Camp's uh, operation, Rad Indie Media. Give them credit too, highly Lee, Lee and Eleanor. Um, how, who else can I shout out? Whew. All right, this is fun.
2: Yeah, look, and I'll just say, look, the problem is, and look, in my own, in my own unique experience, the problem is is when you start getting into areas that are still very touchy. Like for example, Syria, I talk a lot about Syria and for the left, for some people on the left, that's considered very divisive and they don't want to go there. And I get it. They, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's made to be toxic when you get called, people get called enough names and they get, you know, things yeah, just we get become, called di- sure we do. Yeah. And, and you. that has a, and I'm saying like, I'm not passing judgment on it. Just that has a deterrent effect. Like during Gate it was considered crazy to quit. it was like, I had to like, I had to kind of like justify my existence for daring to challenge the notion that Donald Trump was a Russian asset and that Russian email hackers and bots were invading the country. That was considered to be a fringe position to question the premise of the entire thing. And that just absolutely for, and for people who especially want are striving for some kind of acceptance inside mainstream media culture that makes people who are, dissenters sort of toxic and makes them a liability because then you'll get tainted with the same uh, vitriol that gets directed at people who, who stray from the party line. So it's just, it's just a challenge. And, you know, I, I'm personally happy with being in the lane that I'm in right now, but I would love to like the principle of having an overall thing where people are more collaborative. I think it's a great idea and I, I hope it succeeds.
10: And we want to have your dad talk to Tara Reed about about trauma as well. So if you could pass on a message for us. I, I, we've been trying to get that message through. So appreciate all you do really. Thank you. I'm a useful idiot. Proud to be one. Support you guys and uh, and keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting and I'm going to keep covering it. Thank,
2: Thank you, you. Indy. Thank you anonymous Indy man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Leon. Leon is up next.
0: Hi Leon. Hi, Leon. Ah, you were unmuted, then you muted. OK.
6: Can you hear me? Yep.
4: Yeah.
6: Awesome. Thanks for having me on. So um, I just wanted to ask sort of a meta sort of question about journalism. Um, I know, Aaron, you've done a lot of work in sort of deciphering through U.S. propaganda and sort of my evolution and sort of doing the same thing has always been this sort of push and pull between um, being able to inform myself about history and being honest about U.S. history and looking at face value and trying sort of my best to not allow, you know, emotional predispositions to sort of cloud the way that I look at, like, really good information. Um, and so, like, it just sort of helps you stack and uh decipher new information coming towards you and sort of have better predictive measures i guess for what might happen in the future based on what has happened in the past because of the things that you sort of understand and so i was ki- i'm bringing all this up in a really weird way to say i think we've done as leftists a really good job at like uh dealing with the things surrounding syria and russia and russia gate and afghanistan even more recently the work with uh the information coming around out about JFK assassinations and okay assassinations. You know, we've we've been labeled conspiracy theorists theorists and so on and so on. And I think the benefit of it is that we've become better at predicting world events because we sort of have a better understanding of how things really work. But the one thing that we haven't, I don't think, really dealt with as much as we should, even though it's probably the biggest world event for people millennials or people even younger than millennials is 911 and i feel like leftists really need to be more serious and honest about going back as fresh as it, is, as it is still in sort of our collective psychosis i think even especially leftist journalists should probably take a look at it again and give it the same sort of uh <clears throat> same sort of eye and the same sort of uh serious observation that we give other events that we've been dealing with today. And I was just curious about what you guys think about that. Cause I know nine eleven 11 is like the definitely don't touch topic for, you know, pretty much all Americans uh, ever since it's happened. So I was just cu- curious about what you guys think about that.
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not a, a hill I'm personally interested in dying on because there's a lot of things that I've looked into that are controversial mm-hmm. and I think really important to talk about and important organizing tools. And I don't think mm-hmm. of 9-11 as one of those. So it's not going to be my lane.
6: Oh, Aaron? Uh, Aaron? Yeah, where's?
0: are Maybe
2: he's going to produce a. <laughs> um, my nine. bad. I was not my bad. I was not dodging the question. I swear to God. <laughs> no, I, I was like, like oh, uh, CIA <laughs> plant. <laughs> I, 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 I hit the wrong button. No, <laughs> it it's all not good. Purpose. Um, I, I think it's fine to question the official narrative on every story, including 9-11. And it's obvious. I mean, just what's come out about. The mm-hmm. uh what the Bush administration knew beforehand, how they ignored warnings, the critical role of mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia uh, right. is so. And there was recently some documents declassified, talking about how mm-hmm. a Saudi official was—he was in close contact with the hijackers. Mm-hmm. All that's legitimate. What I don't mm-hmm. like at all, and where I will never do, is when people who are not engineers all of a sudden become engineering experts and talk about like mm-hmm. jet fuel and controlled explosions, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I do not. Have any time for it all? I think that's I. I believe what I saw with my own eyes on TV, which is that the planes hit the towers and destroyed them. And
6: yeah, but at, I don't. I don't mean to interrupt. But at the same time, Aaron, like for example, with Syria, um, you're definitely not a chemical engineer, but you're able to do really good investigative journalism on chemical weapons because. But that's not. That based doesn't on, mean...
2: no. But that's not based on me applying. Listen, I got a C plus. In chemistry in high school, so me writing about no, I, I, I understand. Investigation in theory is not based on having any chemical knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's based on leaks that come from people who actually do have knowledge. And that's the, and that's what I'm saying. These, that's what I'm saying the, because which are the OPCW investigators. And here, I'm sorry, the people who talk about jet fuel and all that stuff. I don't see anyone with actual credentials making a plausible case to question how the towers came down. I, I, I haven't seen that at all.
6: And that's fair. I just wanted to say that um, there actually are, there's actually a committee of uh, architectural and structural engineers that have been organizing for quite some time around this issue. But I know a lot of people just don't look into this and that's, I'm really not bringing up the point to say either way, like, oh, definitely, you know, Alex Jones is right or definitely not. I'm just saying, I think the level of attention that we uh, pay the the. I think we just need to up the level of attention that we give towards that event, comparatively to the things that we give to everything else. Um, considering of how, considering the fact that it's been the largest event in world history for us, um, and it's contributed to everything else that we're dealing with today. And so I think, like, we really need to like really dive into it, especially before all the witnesses pass away. In the same way that people did with JFK, like I think we could be suffering from the same collective you know, psychosis that people were suffering from during JFK's assassination. And maybe 50 years from now, people are going to be having this conversation like, gee, why wasn't like anybody like seriously diving into it? And I understand the emotions around it. I think that's really the main issue is that it's really so traumatic and we're still sort of overcoming that. But I just wanted to just put that out there, especially as leftists, because I feel like we have an authority in really investigating really, really serious things in the world.
2: Okay. All
6: right.
2: Thanks. Well Leon, thanks for the call.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And I agree Thank with you. everything that Aaron said. Like that those things are all things that I co sign. You know, the role of the Saudis, the way I don't I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of evidence that they ignored intelligence. But right. yeah, I don't go into the structural engineering stuff. Okay. Next what do we got? Um, Sorry, let's see. Okay, Rich, with the Howard's in Avatar.
6: Can you hear me this time?
0: Mm, you're very, very faint.
6: Oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I'll try again
0: for that. It almost sounds like you're mm, far away from it.
6: No, I'll just try again sometime. Thank All
0: right, sorry. NSA is interfering.
11: Okay, Masha. Hey, good morning. All right. So you guys had a great Monday morning show. And uh, I think that just from now on, you should always close with like a stelter clip, especially okay. one as funny as him, like saying, oh, looking inward, especially up our ass or RS um, as they impose, quote, media diets or sorry, improve media diets uh it's it's just a hilarious it like begs for a joke right especially now that it's going daily on cnn plus so we're gonna be looking up our ass daily yeah
0: like <laughs> sorry ass. sorry yeah. that was
11: like that was like a dumb like english is not my first language joke but but
0: a joke so don't worry
11: Okay, sweet. <laughs> um, so no, just a previous caller had brought up, uh, about like the, the, th- the slapgate thing. So flag Twitter is apparently mad at Will Smith, not for slapping Chris Rock, but for going long on his acceptance speech because they had been led to expect, uh, like a video appearance from Zelensky. So. Oh. That's what's, what's up with that. Um, so then I just wanted to ask, um, about like you guys had brought up the the rat lines of weapons from uh, Libya to Syria and another caller talked about you know what happens to that material, you know, that um you know Markarov was asking for an unstoppable flow of weapons to Ukraine. Um so do you think that 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 there's like um a, a deliberate sort of like staging of there's going to be a lot of war material there and are those weapons going to go to like is it going to stay in poland as poland has like historic claims to parts of uh you know pre carpatia you know that that western side of ukraine and you know like and then that would mean that poland which is part of nato is on that territory of ukraine which then drags nato into a, a war with russia like any thoughts on that
2: i can't speculate that far, but I think that's a fair thing to think about but I just that's speculation right? for sure but for sure. i I think that's a good uh, that, that's a good question to raise i just i can't go beyond that,
11: yeah, especially with Petreus bringing up uh Gaddafi in libya and and I think the other thing that that is worth sort of like bringing up there which which I think you did Aaron, uh, during the show. Uh, about how Hillary really burned uh um, Medvedev with that maneuver. So like yep. after that he really lost support in his power block. Right. So um anyway, interesting, interesting stuff. I'm like really trying hard to to kind of make sense of it and, and uh it's just coming together in a really weird way. So
2: thanks. Yes it is. Yes it is and thank you Masha as always for uh for the support. Thank you. All right. Martin, you're up. And yeah, there you go.
12: Hi, guys. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, really appreciate your work, both of yours. i uh, been following you since the early times and real news, Aaron. And uh, Katie, been enjoying your uh, comedy and influence on leftists uh, for a long time. And I really appreciate both of you guys' works. Uh, The question I had was mainly that uh, because I am a couple of years younger than you, uh, Aaron, and I'm calling from Norway, and the sense I have had uh, since pretty much my early 20s when I was protesting against the Iraq War, uh, I feel like there was a seismic change during the 9-11 episode as Leon was speaking about it. Uh, And I feel like the last 20 years, we've been losing more and more of our rights and privileges, as one would call it, maybe Uh, the privacy rights started off with privacy rights and religion rights and ethnic rights. And now we have moved to this point where we pretty much have no right to speak our mind or even maybe fought crimes. And in what I feel is that if you have sort of lost this sense of what we used to call the Western uh, society, I guess, or the the things that represented the Western society, and I feel this far more here in Norway in recent times, especially with this Ukraine crisis, and we sort of started feeling it during the corona virus as well that. These rights have been removed one by one, more and more. And right now, like I've, I experience things that I've never experienced in my life, uh, like the Norwegian broadcasting network NRK uh, actually censoring speech. And this is completely new to us. I know you guys have been feeling some of this in US over the past twenty years, but this is completely new to us. And I feel like. There's a seismic change. And I just wanted to know your opinion about this. And thank you both again for your work. Yeah, it's a real test right now. The
2: power of Silicon Valley companies over what we are allowed to read and listen to is really something. I mean, look at the Hunter Biden laptop story where, you know, you have this like whatever the merits of the story itself. And again, I don't think the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop were particularly explosive. But the fact that before an election, the entire media in Silicon Valley basically decided that we could not read about this story. And they were going to promote this complete lie, which they all knew was a lie, that it was all Russian disinformation. It's that is Orwellian. And um, it. It's. It's also, you know, there's also people willing to accept it. People don't have a problem with being told what to, what what they can read and, and, and hear. So it's an issue and it's scary. And the fact that, you know, RT, for example, can just be taken down so easily and no one really, at least no one in the media cares. Everyone just, uh, everyone just, everyone just accepts it. It's strange. It's, I'm as scared of it as you are and I don't really know what the answer is except just continue to speak about it and criticize it.
12: And, uh, may I just add a small question? Do you think that it was our generation's fault? Like, I know that we're all, like, a, a, a accumulation of our experiences, and since none of our generation actually experienced the things that our grandparents' generation or our parents' generation experienced, such as, the, like, the uh, Second World War and the previous regimes or governments that were in place before that, uh, before all the uh, civilizing of the international politics and civilizing countries uh, that came after that. Since not, and We didn't have to fight for those rights. Do you think it's our fault that we give, gave it up too easily as well, like our generation? Uh, I don't like
2: generation blaming. I think <laughs> uh, look, everyone everyone is just trying to survive and do their best in this world and it it's it's hard to to earn a living and to you know have a personal life all the struggles of being human so it's difficult also to stay focused on broader political issues especially when there's in in like at least in the US it's there's very little organized there's very little organizing opportunities like unions have been decimated there's there's very little things for people to latch onto like the bernie campaign was one thing, but that that disappeared after he lost in the primary. So it's hard. So I think everyone does their best, and we're just we're in the times that we're in. And I I don't know. I, I just can't make a sweeping judgment about a generation like that.
12: I can't uh Thank you again for having letting me speak, and thank you for taking the call.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's a that. I, I mean, it's these things are so much more structural than about like individual agency. So. And I think it's the more healthy thing to focus on anywhere. That's yeah. my two cents. Thanks, Martin. Thank
12: you, Katie. No worries. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Okay. Dan. Hi, Dan.
13: Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah.
13: Yeah. Okay. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm just... This is my first time calling live into any of the online shows. So I've got a few things on my mind. Uh, Thank you. First of all, so if we talk about Ukraine, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I kept seeing news about Zelensky being um, able, or should I say, maybe willing to make concessions when it comes to Ukraine's neutrality, okay? But then the big question for me is, do you think it's really possible for Russia and Ukraine to get to some kind of an agreement or like a peace treaty that would not actually be ratified, so to say, by the United States?
0: Well, we saw that telling exchange between Ryan Grimm and Jen Psaki, where he was basically asking, it was interesting, it was like a barrage of... um, Sorry, I'm going to unmute you while I'm talking because I hear an echo. Then I'll unmute you. Um, it was kind of like a barrage of uh, um, journalists asking why there wasn't a no-fly zone, asking if they would consider a no-fly zone. And then finally, Ryan Graham asks about how much the United States was empowering Zelensky to negotiate with Russia directly. And Saki was very cagey about it. Um, definitely someone who wanted... Uh, peace, above all other things, would have been a lot more, um, a lot bolder in her response and would have said something like, of course, anything that the United States needs to do to make peace possible, we'll be, be doing. But she definitely didn't say that. So I, I am very worried by the fact that I think that, you know, the priority is not peace for the United States. I think Zelensky, I'm sure, is being is, is hamstrung as much as people are offended by that, Um by that characterization, it's obviously true. And he's a pawn. Um, so that's my, and, and of course, you know, the Biden administration keeps warning that this is going to be a long a long haul. So that's what I think. Aaron, do you?
2: Yeah, hear, hear. Yeah. Hear, hear.
0: Let me unmute you again, Dan. sorry I just you were there's an echo you there, Dan again um Dan, just unmute yourself
13: yeah, can you hear me yeah yeah okay so my 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 question was more along the lines of Ukraine and Russia reach an agreement the u s doesn't agree. Because the beef, like Russia's beef is not with Ukraine. I guess we all understand that by now. Right. So in a way, Russia is actually, should be having talks with the U.S. But technically, Ukraine is, I don't know if I should say a pawn, but Ukraine is like an intermediary. So the peace talks are actually in between Russia and U.S. So I don't know if any peace talks that are agreed upon between Russia and Ukraine will have a big impact unless the U.S. agrees to the terms. So my my biggest fear is there might be a settlement in between the two warring countries with Russia invading Ukraine. But like with the United States, obviously there is a big stake in the peace talks. So what happens if the U.S. doesn't agree with the terms? Let's say... Ukraine recognizes Crimea as being Russian. And then it goes to say, okay, we're going to be a neutral country following the same example like Austria or Sweden or Finland or whatever. So what if the international community, so to say, and we all know what that means, uh, like the Western countries, NATO countries, etc. What if they don't agree with Crimea being Russian, even though Ukraine agrees to recognize Crimea as being Russian?
2: I certainly agree that Ukraine is, can't really do much without the approval of the U.S. And I don't know what the U.S. will be willing to agree to. I suspect their aim is to basically try to lock in Russia in a, in a proxy war, in an insurgency, like they did to the Soviets in Afghanistan. And so if that's their goal, then... I don't see them agreeing to peace talks or, you know, or, or a peace settlement anytime soon. But um, eventually, I mean, how long at the same time, if you're Zelensky, how long can you keep this going? You know, when Russia has taken Mariupol, it's now focusing on the Donbass. I don't know how much time they have to stall this out. And, I don't think Russia wants to stay inside Ukraine. I don't think it wants to overthrow the government, which means it's not going to try to invade the capital, Kiev, and try to basically carry out urban warfare. I don't don't see that happening. So I think it's also whatever the U.S. wants or doesn't want, it, it might not have much choice eventually if Russia feels that it's completed its objectives.
13: Yeah, I kind of agree. Okay, thank you very much. You've both been doing a really great job and I uh, I, I love uh, hearing your, your insights on this. Thank you for taking the call. Thanks. You know, and let me say one more thing too. This also
2: might, you know, to your point about this not just being about Ukraine, this also could be about Russia trying to basically accumulate leverage that it can use to get the U.S. to roll back its offensive weapon systems elsewhere, not just... Uh, potentially in Ukraine, but also the U.S. missile sites in Poland and Romania. Russia has asked that the U.S. take out its offensive weapons that are pointed at Russia from the former Soviet states. And so occupying Ukraine could be its way of obtaining leverage to achieve that goal, which it could not achieve through negotiations. And if that's what Russia's goal is, then... Russia could be there for a while because I don't see the US agreeing to that. But we'll see. I mean, that's that's where it just gets into speculation. But I do think that, that I do think that this could be one of Russia's objectives here is to basically use Ukraine as as leverage to achieve its security goals beyond Ukraine when it comes to weapon systems, which by the way exists because the US has been dismantling arms control treaties for the last twenty years over Russian objections. And so this could be Russia's way to try to Counter that in a very brutal in a very brutal fashion
0: thanks, Dan. okay, next we have Terry hi Terry I'm, I'm hi Good morning hi. Good morning.
14: Hey uh, first of all, how do you like my avatar? It's made with ketchup and mustard, and it says Ronald McDonald loves crack underneath. Wow, great. Very
2: creative. Very creative, Terry. Very creative avatar. I feel
14: like it's a fourth grade project for me. I don't know why. Um, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, First of all, uh, was the Afghanistan pullout because of Ukraine? Like were they anticipating that we were about to go into war someplace else? And then my second question is, and I know it's fog of war, but who controls the Ukrainian military right now? Like, how much of it is being controlled by Nazis? How much of it is being controlled by the
2: U.S.? So on the first question, did the U.S. pull out of Afghanistan because they anticipated a war in Ukraine? Yes. That's the question? I doubt it because it's not as if the U.S. is sending soldiers to Ukraine. They're sending weapons, but not soldiers. So if I had to bet, I wouldn't bet on a correlation. The correlation I do think is that you know, Biden got humiliated in Afghanistan. He didn't handle it very well. There was, of course, the killing of uh, U.S. soldiers at the airport and then the, the drone strike that killed the family. So maybe Ukraine in Ukraine, he saw an opportunity to have a win to uh, sort of change the, the focus from his failure in Afghanistan to his supposed success in Ukraine. So maybe that was a motive. And on. OK, what was your second question?
14: Um, what's going on with the Ukrainian military? Who, who controls?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, certainly. Look, the Azov Battalion is not huge in size, but they're big in influence. They right. were essentially they were essentially controlling Mariupol, where Russia has carried out this this brutal operation. They had people high up in the armed forces. the uh, The coup government that came to power in twenty fourteen was dominated by far right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they continue to have a major influence, and there's no doubt about that. Everyone knows that. Everyone knew that up until the invasion, when, and then when Russia invaded and talked about denazification, all of a sudden we were supposed to forget about the major role of neo-Nazis. That's why the New York Times, for years, would call the Azov Battalion a neo-Nazi param- paramilitary organization. And then a few weeks ago, or last week, they started calling Azov Battalion far-right, so it was as if like during, this year, during, during these years of CIA training for the Ukrainian forces, the Azov Battalion got some kind of sensitivity training to turn them <laughs> from neo-Nazi to far right. It's it's ridiculous, but everyone knows it. And that doesn't mean that all the Ukrainian military is Nazi. It's obviously not. But they there is a Nazi contingent and they have a major influence.
14: I like to say Putin is the new Stephen Bandera. Uh, how so? Oh, I don't know. It just kind of screws with people's heads because they're running around going, Putin is Hitler. I want to say I said, Oh, yeah, well, asked- exactly. So, you know,
2: that's one of the first things that the coup government did um, is, you know, re- reinstate making Bandera a national hero and Zelensky himself has been forced to pay tribute to figures like Bandera. So there's no doubt they have a major influence. It's just, it's undeniable.
14: Yeah, it's... Um, and I guess the last thing I want to say is to you, Katie, I mean... You platform so many good people, your volume, your content. I mean, you help me get through these shitty times. And I just want to say, also, what do you guys do to not be depressed? Because the more I look at media and, well, the propaganda, but also just trying to sort out information. And when you get to information that's a little bit closer to the truth, it's so depressing. I mean, what do you guys do to get out of being depressed?
0: Yeah. I don't know what I do. Uh, I try to just stay. I'd rather, I prefer being angry to uh, being depressed. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like to walk my dog. That's what I do.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I love walking a dog. I used to have a dog and walking a dog was always such a pleasant experience. One time I walked, I was walking my dog Rosie and she broke away from me because there were some sprinklers in the grass. And she started um, running over the sprinklers, and I could hear the sprinklers hit, like hit hit her as she would run over them. And she was so joyful, and I, I broke down in tears because it was the, it was it was one of the most just un, moments of unbridled joy. And uh. so I, I love so yes, having a dog is a wonderful thing. And what what I do is I exercise, and um, you know I do all, I meditate, I do all that stuff. But also, I'll say this: I went to Syria. And after going to Syria, I decided I'm never going to be depressed ever again. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with yeah. being depressed, but I just realized that in my own personal experience, there was a certain privilege to the way I was looking at the world, and I was making too many things about myself when really I've never experienced real, real hardship, real deprivation, re- re- real suffering. There, there's there's different levels of it, and I just decided that I was not, you know, I was not going to take the world so personally, especially given all the privileges I have, you know, in relation to other people. So going to Syria for me and seeing real hardship and real, real things to be depressed about helped cure me of my own, um, personal, or it helped not cure me, but helped help me, help give me a new perspective on how to see the world because people there who I met don't, don't have the luxury to spend their time being despondent, you know, cause they have to survive because, they're recovering from a war and they're living under brutal US sanctions that are deliberately trying to prevent them from having a, a decent life. And so, if there's anything to be depressed about, it would be living in that situation. And given that I'm not, I just, that was very, that had a big impact on me.
14: That's a great point. Get out of yourself. And just one last thing I wanted to give a shout out to my dog, Fritz. Oh, hi, Fritz. Yeah, he's a spitz. Go figure, huh? Yeah. So, um, Love what
0: you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron, Serge is in the queue. Can we Let's go to him.
2: Yes, Serge calling from Ukraine. Let's go to Serge. And this will be our last call.
15: Okay. Hi, Serge. Oh, my. I, I wasn't intending to cut in, but thank you so much. Sorry, everyone, for cutting in a little bit. Uh, Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Katie. Uh, uh, A lot of things have been said, and I'm not sure if I can add anything substantial, but I just wanted to say that basically from the experience of Ukraine, we can definitely see that it is very important to keep alternative media alive because right now, <clears throat> even though we have became much more tolerant, as some West spooks are saying, unfortunately, the Ukrainian government has been very brutal when it comes to alternative media, and basically we have no more dissenting voice. Uh, and even people that were posting content exclusively on YouTube, I know, Uh, John Girov and other analytics, uh, they were actually quite uh, on point when it comes to geopolitics and where Ukraine stands. And unfortunately, uh, the Ukrainian nationalists uh, basically come to their homes and make them record videos, videos of themselves, basically saying that They are wrong about everything and you should support Ukrainian army and all of that. And, well, as far as I know, Jungirov haven't posted anything ever since his last video. So I'm not sure what happens to these people, but uh, there's that. I just wanted to also make a quick update on the Mariupol Drama Theater uh, shenanigans. As far as I know, we've been told that thanks to a great miracle, uh, no one died during the uh, apparent bombing. But unfortunately, a few days ago, uh, our media has started talking about 300 people that were killed during the, the accident. And even though I haven't seen any photos or videos of people being Saved from the rubble, Uh, we are now being told that actually there were many victims, as much as 300. But due to Russia's constant bombing of the central part of Mariupol, they can't retrieve any bodies. So there's that. And uh, I'm not sure how much time we have. I just wanted to talk a little bit maybe and ask you what are your thoughts on this thing. I know that Aaron is not really big on talking about the World Economic Forum, and I'm not sure if I can, if I want to talk about it, but I just wanted to ask if any of you have looked into the possibility of the worldwide cyber outage well basically the whole internet shutting down and due to cyber attacks, because we know that uh, the now famous anonymous group has been targeting Russia's uh, infrastructure and just a few days ago they dumped about one terabyte of data, worth of data from the Central Bank Bank of Russia. And I'm just wondering that, you know, uh, the World Economic Forum has been running their Cyber Polygon program, and in their latest Cyber Polygon 2021, uh, they've been talking about the possibility of Huge, basically huge ransomware attacks on critical infrastructure and uh, that basically we have to prepare to this cyber attack just as we prepared to the COVID-19. Uh, we need to introduce sort of digital vaccines in order to combat misinformation, and uh, the possible use of digital currencies as a tool to uh, basically steal people's data. Well, what they're accusing Russia right now is that they're hackers. Their hackers are stealing a lot of money and a lot of cyber currencies like Bitcoin by attacking with ransomware. And I was just wondering, uh, what are your thoughts on this? And have you ever considered the possibility that we might, in addition to the all-out war, we might also be in for quick digital cleansing and, quite possibly, the shutting down of uh, any alternative
2: media as well? So what well, said, that, that's a that's a heavy question. I, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that stuff is over my head. I just can't. I, I don't know. I um. Yeah. I, I I I haven't thought about the the possibility you you lay out there in terms of the, you know, this escalating into so, like a digital <laughs> battlefield and. But all, all that seems very possible to me. Um, but I just don't have the. I'm not up on that to be able to comment on it. But I do think that. Yeah, we're seeing just we've seen examples of the powers that be silencing alternative media or inconvenient stories. And I definitely don't think that's going away. I think that especially the more it's accepted, the the more empowered the elite will be to silence voices. I mean, look at Julian Assange. That's the ultimate test case, really. The fact that he can be caged, mistreated the way he's being, he's being mistreated And there not being a massive popular revolt, I mean, that says that to people in power that they can get away with it. And that's scary.
15: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Another, just a small thing to add. Well, thanks to the complete shutdown of any alternative media, I think that also it has led to our people becoming extremely bloodthirsty. I've never seen anything like that before. And, you know, if you look up Telegram channels, basically the only source of independent information that you can find right now in Ukraine, uh, you see a lot of people, even teenagers, are just being crazy about killing the Russians and uh, getting their revenge. It's a very scary stuff.
2: Yeah. On Useful Idiots a few weeks ago, we played a clip of. Ukrainian state, te- a guy on Ukrainian state television basically praising Eichmann and saying that, you know, Russian children should be killed. Have you seen that clip, Serge?
15: Yeah, I've seen that clip. That's, that's crazy. There was another clip also of a guy uh, who's responsible for the I don't know how, how you say it in American, but basically uh, there's a mobile mobile hospital initiative which helps uh, treating soldiers, including Russians, and he basically said that it's okay to, uh, how do you say that, to, <laughs> to cut off the manhood of yes, Russian to, soldiers. To- oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, they are not they are human, and it's okay to do that. Yeah. I think that his Westerns masters told them to basically cut it down a bit and he said that he's sorry and he'll treat everyone equally. But from the stuff you can see on Telegram it's absolutely insane. And oh, by the way uh, sorry for another small thing. Uh, I know that the Ukrainian army is right now uh, they're saying that basically their soldiers are are strictly following the Geneva Convention. And are not doing anything to captive Russians and possible collaborators. But just the other night, I was looking up the information on the video of Russian captives getting their legs shot. And basically, yeah, uh, there's a very disturbing video going around with uh, captive Russians being beat down and lying in a pool of blood and Ukrainian soldiers crying, Slava Ukraini, and basically asking who are the officers. And the officers were uh, getting shot in their legs. And now they're saying that it's all fake news and Russia's making up stuff. But if you see it and if you're a native Ukrainian, you know, you know that this stuff actually happened so it's crazy
2: it's crazy well Serge, thanks so much for calling in as always it's great to hear from you and uh get the updates from what's happening inside of ukraine and hear perspectives from inside ukraine that you know most of us do not get so thank you as always for calling thank you so much bye everyone bye and we're gonna wrap it there everybody thank you for tuning in this was always fun katie you have you're doing the katie helper show tomorrow night
0: yeah, with uh, guest uh, Adam uh, Johnson, media great media critic and uh, from uh, Citations Needed podcast. That's at 8pm at youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Yeah.
12: Very cool. Well,
2: thanks everybody for tuning in. And yep. we, we'll be back next week at the same time. And, uh, and yeah.
0: Subscribe to YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash useful idiots. Also subscribe to us on Substack at uh subsec.com rate and review our podcast and tune in every monday for monday morning at 10 a.m on youtube right that's it right that's
13: it bye
2: everybody
0: bye everyone